Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let me also extend my welcome to you all, and, and good for us to be together. Uh, Pastor Mark is on vacation with his family at the beach uh, this week, so uh, glad he's able to get away and look forward to his uh, being back. We are continuing in our uh, series on the life of Abraham and Sarah, and uh, we come this morning then to Genesis chapter 23 and the death of Sarah. Listen again to God's word to us, Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of a city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it for me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. This too is worth the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text tells us that Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Our text tells us that she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. And back in chapter 22, we are told that after the, the binding of Isaac, the sacrifice that Mark looked at last week, that Abraham returned to Beersheba. Apparently, to Beersheba, not to Kiriath Arba, where, where Sarah was. Apparently, at the end of her life, Sarah and Abraham were not living together. We're not told why, but many have imagined why. The text of Genesis is remarkably free of emotional details, especially in chapter 22 that we looked at last week. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loves. 
And we are told that Abraham rose early the next morning and began the journey. When he got to Moriah, he, after a heartbreaking question from Isaac, where is the lamb we're going to offer? Abraham binds Isaac, raises his knife to take the life of his son, his only son whom he loves, and the Lord stops him. And we want to know, what was Abraham feeling? What was he thinking? What about Isaac? What did it do to Isaac to see his father ready to do this? How old was Isaac? Was he just a boy? Sarah dies when Isaac was 37. Some Jewish tradition tells the story that Sarah died because Satan appeared to her while Abraham was gone with Isaac and revealed to Sarah what Abraham was about to do, and she died of a heart attack. Could Isaac have been 37 years old when Abraham tried to sacrifice him? Did he submit to his father binding him? Did Abraham have to fight him to subdue him? Or was Isaac only a boy? And how did Sarah find out? What happened to her relationship with Abraham when she heard what he had been willing to do to their son, their only son, whom she loved? If you've ever hiked in the mountains in bear country, you have probably heard the warning that the most dangerous thing that can happen is to come upon a bear cub, right? Because the most dangerous place to be is between a bear mother and a bear cub. Well, Sarah was a mama bear, right? We saw this earlier in her expelling of Ishmael from their household. Ishmael dared to mock her son. He must be sent away. And Abraham did not dare to stand against the wrath of Sarah. So many questions, right, about what they were thinking and feeling that Scripture doesn't ask or answer. We don't know, but we can imagine the break in the relationship between Sarah and Abraham when she found out what he attempted to do with her Isaac. And so she settled in Hebron, and he settled in Beersheba, about 26 miles away, a a two-day walk. Now, I mentioned all this to make the point that is frustrating to us. We get frustrated because oftentimes Scripture is answering different questions than the ones we are asking. I want to know the answer to all of these questions about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and how their marriage and how their families survived the trauma of chapter 22. And instead we get chapter 23 and a considerable amount of detail about negotiations about the purchase of a burial plot for Sarah. I want us to focus on the question that the text is trying to answer with all these details. But I first want us to make a brief diversion into a question that is burning for us that seems to matter little to the inspired writer of Genesis. In verse 2, we are told that Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. Abraham loved Sarah, and the reward for love is grief. If you never want to experience grief, then you have to wall off your heart from love. For if you allow your heart to love, you invite grief to come with it. I did a wedding yesterday for a friend. He was supposed to officiate and came down with COVID, so he asked if I could fill in. It was a young couple, but grief was all through the ceremony. The bride's mother is in Mexico and could not be there because she has cancer and probably only has a few weeks left to live. The groom was one of four brothers, two of whom died tragically 
a few years ago. And in the joy of that ceremony, the thought occurred to me, one of these two will have to bury the other. One of you will be Abraham mourning for Sarah and weeping over her. It is the reward for love. And I want us to think about this for a moment. I read this week that Abraham's mourning over Sarah is the first example of grief or mourning that is mentioned in Genesis. There's no mention of Adam and Eve grieving over the murder of Abel by Cain. Noah gets drunk, but there is no mention of Noah or any of his family grieving over the death of all their friends and neighbors in the flood. And Lot also gets drunk, but there is no mention of his or his, his daughters grieving over the death of his wife and all their neighbors in Sodom and Gomorrah. But here, Abraham grieves over Sarah. And I want to suggest that the hope of God's promise, the hope of God's promise, leads to, leads to grief. Not only is grief the reward for love, but it is also the reward for hope. God's covenant promises lead to hope and to joy and also to grief. Seneca, the Roman Stoic philosopher in the first century, said, cease to hope and you will cease to fear. It seems that God's promises to Abraham, that, that it seems that before, excuse me, before God's promises to Abraham, that death was simply a non-negotiable fact of life, no more to be mourned than the setting of the sun. As the genealogies in Genesis would say, your father begat you and you begat your children and they begat their children. You were born, you live, you have some children, you die. The circle of life, it goes round and round. But with Abraham, God intervenes. And when God gets involved, the stakes are raised. When God makes a promise, then it's no longer a circle of life. Now it is a ray. Now there is a destination. Now there is a promise of where we are going. Now we have expectations. We will become a great nation, the descendants more than the stars in the sky. We will be given a land, a particular land. We will be a blessing to all nations. We have a destination. Abraham loved Sarah, and so he grieved. But Abraham also received God's promises with Sarah, and so he grieved. Death interrupts God's promise. The promise gives us a hope for the future where death has no place. And the promise makes the future hope brighter, and thereby the shadow of death darker. We can imagine Abraham kneeling beside the body of Sarah, weeping. Oh, Sarah, I thought we would see our grandchildren together. I thought we would possess the land together. They had seen so much of God's faithfulness to his promises that to be separated by death was that much more painful. The writer of Hebrews tells us in the scripture that we read earlier that part of their grief was that they longed for a heavenly city. Abraham grieved over Sarah because they didn't get to see the destination they were hoping for. And this is true for us, too. As a congregation, we are grieving. We are grieving because of love, and we are grieving because of hope. We are grieving Alan's retirement because we love him. Some of us had 36 years of adventure with him. He spoke God's word into our lives. 
We saw him and Betsy go through cancer. We got to go through it together with them. We are grieving Dave's stunts, not because we don't like when, but because we love Dave. Because Dave knew grief and sorrow and taught us how to walk and sing through it. Because he taught us to sing the songs that got us through our dark nights. And this week, we heard that Brad and Jamie will be leaving us, and we are grieving again. They are a part of us, and we don't want to imagine life without them. We grieve because we love. We also grieve because we believe God's promise of how our youth are an integral part of who we are and of God's promise of how we are to disciple them in the ways of Jesus, and we're not there yet. We thought we would get there with Brad and Jamie, but we're not there yet, and so we grieve. We grieve that we have lost members of this body. Some moved away. Some have stopped coming to Blackbone. Some have started attending another congregation. We thought we would get to walk this road together. Some have left because of COVID and the divisions in this nation have pulled us apart. And we grieve and mourn. But we also grieve because we hope. We grieve because we believe in God's promises to us. We believe God's promise that he is building something in us. We believe that God's kingdom has come, that now we are a foretaste of that kingdom. But we haven't gotten there yet. We grieve because Black Knoll is not the church God has promised that we are to be. Pastor Mark tells us that we're an awesome church. And I want to say, yes, but, right? Yes, but God has promised more. Yes, but we fall so short of what Scripture says our lives and our life together are to look like. We have been given a picture of what life as the body of Christ is to look like, and so we grieve. But I digress. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a brief digression. Uh, I apologize for being a little longer than I thought, because it's not the main message of this chapter. Why is it that we get half a verse about the grief over Sarah and 18 verses on a real estate transaction for a burial plot? But I think it's because something important is happening here. Abraham says in verse 4 that he is a stranger and a foreigner in the land, and, and this is the problem, right? As a foreigner, he had no right to own any property. The land belongs to the, the tribes, to the clans who live there. Where then is he to bury his wife, Sarah? And so he comes to the, the Hittites, the residents of the land, and asks them for property where he could bury his wife. And Hittites respond that, Abram, you're no foreigner. You are a, a mighty prince in the land. And they offer to give him any of their burial plots that he can have as a gift. But Abraham wants a particular plot of land. He wants the cave of Machpelah, and he wants to buy it. He doesn't want to be given it. He wants to own it. And Ephraim says, no, I will give you the cave and the field that goes with it. And Abraham refuses. He says, no, listen to me. I will buy it. Name your price so that I may bury my dead. And then Ephraim responds, I love this. Listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what's that between you and me, right? <laughs> bury your dead 
And apparently this is an exorbitant amount of money. David buys the property that the temple was built upon for 50 shekels of silver. Jeremiah buys a field from his cousin for 17 shekels of silver. 400 shekels was an exorbitant amount. Ephraim may not really have wanted to sell it, and so names this exorbitant amount. Instead of entering into an expected practice of haggling, well, I'll give you 200, how about 350? Instead of all that haggling, Abraham says, okay, 400, I'll pay it. And he gives him the silver. What is going on here? What is going on is Abram is putting a down payment down on the promised land. God has promised this land to him. Where will he bury his wife? Where will he be buried? Where will Isaac be buried? Right here in the land God promised to us. And the distinction between buying property for a burial site versus merely buying a tomb is the key to the negotiations. A tomb does not give you ownership of the land. The Hittites are willing to give Abraham a tomb, but Abraham wants a permanent burial site to anchor their identification with the promised land. He buys the land. He doesn't receive it as a gift because then someone in the future might want it back. He doesn't just want a burial plot in the cemetery. He wants to own the land because God has promised that all of this land will belong to him and his descendants. And we get all of these details because the writer of Genesis wants us to know that every legal I has been dotted and every T has been crossed. Ephron and the Hittite city council all agree to sell this land to him at their preferred price. No one can come back later and say, well, I don't think this is legit. What does this mean then, and why is it so important? It's important because Abraham is claiming God's promise. In the midst of his grief of all that has been promised that has not been fulfilled yet, he stakes his claim. Here is where our family will be buried. When many years later, Abraham's grandson Jacob dies in Egypt, Joseph and his brothers bring him back here to be buried at this cave in Machpelah. When Joseph is about to die in Egypt, he makes his brothers swear that they will bring his bones back to this promised land to be buried. He does not belong in Egypt. His home is in the land God promised. What does this mean for us? God has promised us a kingdom. What a hope, right? What a hope. A kingdom where the dividing walls of hostility are broken down, where people from every tribe and nation and language will be gathered together in worship of our God. A kingdom where the lion will lie down with the lamb. A kingdom where there will be no violence, where there's neither sorrow nor sighing, where every tear will be wiped away. A kingdom whose king will not break the bruised reed and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And we hope for that kingdom. And we grieve. It's not yet. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now we only get glimpses of this kingdom, but we have not possessed it yet. The question for us is whether we will continue to hope and therefore grieve 
Or will we settle for the temptation of the stoic to abandon hope, to choose not to grieve, to not be a stranger and foreigner, but to settle for the comforts and the anesthesia of a life without promises? Or will we hope? Will we settle for a Christianity that is merely about my personal peace and abandon God's call to be a part of his kingdom? doing his work, bringing justice and righteousness in our world. We settle for a Christianity that is reduced to a bland message of God's acceptance and affirmation and abandon the hope of transformation. Or will we live lives of hope, of our being indeed the body of Christ, united in him, doing what Christ is doing in our world? Beloved, let us grieve together in that joyful hope of who we are to become. Let us pray. Lord God, as we hear this story of Abraham and Sarah, we again give you thanks for your promises to us. You are a God who makes and keeps your promises. And Lord, even as we grieve the ways in which we long for those promises still to be fulfilled in my life, in each of our lives, in our life together, in our world, we pray that you would help us to cling to hope, to grieve with you the ways things are not yet as they will be, and Lord, to commit ourselves to following you and trusting your promises. In Christ's name we pray.